Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Laura Barnett and the other was Sandra Spannon. They dressed in white and they decided to do an experiment. And they were dressed in white and as passerbys would come their way, they would uh, point them or Laura would point them. Sandra was off to the side waiting to do something else. But they would point them in silence to a, a glass that had etched on it more or less these words, uh, dirty laundry aired for free. <laughs> Uh, anonymous. And she would provide a clipboard to anyone interested, even though I said, you know, confidential and anonymous, she'd give a clipboard to them and people would take time and they would start writing down their dirty laundry. <laughs> they, they would start pouring out things that they had been hiding, stuffing down, keeping away from other people, maybe even thinking they were keeping it from God or whoever. And they would start writing those things down. She, she also gave them not just a clipboard with blanks of paper on it where they could write out anything they felt like they, they wanted to get poured out from the dark resources, recesses of their soul. She gave them an envelope that said secret. And after they finished writing everything out, they would fold it up, put it in the envelope, seal it, and, and turn it in. Sandra Spannon off to the side, she was an artist. And as the people were filling out those blanks of paper, she would do a, a quick portraiture of them. Then after the people had turned in their paper and they were well gone, they would open the envelope that said secret and they would tape it on the glass along with her portrait beside of it. <laughs> Executives walking by, couriers walking by, joggers coming through, shoppers coming by, lawyers downtown uh, New York, multitudes of people from all types of backgrounds we would stop and fill out that clipboard and fold up what was there and put it in the envelope that says secret. And what the experiment more or less proved was this. There are a lot of people hiding stuff in their lives. There are a lot of people walking around with guilt. And they saw this as some type of free opportunity to try and deal with the guilt that they had. Some people wrote down silly stuff. The hermit crab was still alive when I threw it down the trash chute. Some people wrote down some pretty scary type stuff. I wish that people in SUVs would blow up. Those people are so selfish. I wish the SUVs would just blow up with them in it. One person wrote down, I'm 25 years old. I'm having an affair with a man that's twice my age, but he's paying me for it, so that makes me feel a little bit better about my guilt. One person wrote down, I have AIDS. But whatever the response is, the exercise proved that, that, that there were people walking around with stuff that they had tried to hide and they needed some way to deal with it. There was once a pretty powerful king by the name of David. David had plenty of wealth, plenty of money. The Bible said he had multiple wives already. Their culture was different than ours. And the Bible tells us in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that in the time of year when kings would normally go to battle, he decided to stay home. And he walked out on his rooftop and he looked across the way and he saw this beautiful woman that we find out later to be Bathsheba. And he looks and he keeps looking and he being the king, asks who she is and sends for her and has her brought in to his palace and he has sex with her. 
sometime later, she sends a message to the king. I'm pregnant. Might be the equivalent of us channel surfing in our day and time. And you see something that you weren't necessarily looking for, but then you keep looking and you keep looking and it leads to other stuff. Or the equivalent of us being on social media and then all of a sudden something comes across, you weren't really looking for it, but it's there and, and, and you look and you look and you look. David was drawn in similar to maybe what some people are by pornography and things like that in our day and time. Job had written these words that I think maybe we need to, to learn from even in our day and time. Job said this in Job 31 verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl, is the way the NIV puts it. But David in that moment could care less about purity. He, he wasn't thinking about God or God's will for his life in that moment. Instead, what he did was this. He looked, and he lingered, and he lusted, and then he acted. Well, we might ought to learn a lesson from that, because if you look and you continue to look, and you continue to look, it can lead to places you didn't intend on going to start with. And that's the story that takes place here in in David's life. So from the time he gets the notice about Bathsheba being with child, he starts making some wrong decisions that really spiral out of control. To start with, he thought, well, I'll send for her husband Uriah. He's gone with my army and I'll bring him home and, and uh, entertain him a little bit and say, well, you go hang out with your wife tonight. And then he'll go in and be with her and no one will know the better and they'll just think that it's his child. But Uriah had more integrity than that. He refused to do that. He said, how can I do that while all the rest of the army's in the battlefield? So since that didn't work, David trying to hide and cover up his sin, he came up with a new plot, a new plan, and that was this. He sent a message to one of his generals, and he said, in the battle, withdraw from Uriah, that was the husband of Bathsheba, withdraw from him and allow him to be killed in the battle. So more or less, David plots out a murder, which by the way, not just Uriah's killed, there's some other soldiers that are killed because of this plot also. And David then sends after Bathsheba and he thinks, well, you know, it'll look compassionate on my behalf. Her husband was killed in battle. I'll bring her into the palace. Then it will look kosher that I have taken her as my wife and she's with child and no one's going to know the better. So David thought he had his, his sin covered up except for one thing. God told a prophet by the name of Nathan. And Nathan showed up at David's doorstep, and he told him a story about someone taking this one lamb. This person that had plenty of lambs took this one man's lamb. And David became so vindictive and upset over it. And then Nathan looked at him because, you see, the story had to do with what David had done. And then Nathan looks at David, and he points at him, and he says, you're the one that's done this. We don't need to too quickly... Read over an important statement that takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 11 in verse 27. By the way, I would encourage, guys, can y'all catch up to me? You're behind a good bit, it looks like, there. But uh, um, it'd be good for you to read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 this week because that's where we're going to live at, kindly, for a couple weeks. It's the background of the story. But don't miss the gravity of this statement. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Because you might read over that fairly quick. We need to recognize things that we can do ourselves displease the Lord. And it may not be to the severity of what we see in David's life, but what David had done, committed adultery and then committed murder, even though God called David a man after his own heart, 
The Bible clearly says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So after Nathan walks by and he points his finger at David, David comes to repentance and he writes out this psalm that we know of as Psalm 51. I've called the series just PS 51 for an abbreviation for Psalm 51. Different translations of the Bible put different headings at the front of this psalm. One says that creating me a clean heart, O God. That's what the NIV says. Creating me a, a, a clean heart, O God. Another translation, the, the ESV puts it, create me a clean heart. Another translation, the New King James has as the head in a prayer of repentance. So what you might say is over the next few weeks, we're going to focus upon the need for us to have clean hearts. For us to deal with anything that we're trying to hide in our lives. For us to deal with the guilt that we may be carrying around in our lives. And in order for us to have clean hearts, since we still have this flesh, even though if you know Christ is your Savior, you're saved by grace, but we still have this flesh, that means that we're going to need to repent from time to time. Amen? That we will make bad decisions, that we will make bad choices, that sin can creep into our lives. By the way, something I should have pointed out is this, and let me revisit that just a minute to, to give you a kind of a really underlying truth context. I, I said that the story starts out in 2 Samuel 11 saying at a time when kings would go to battle, David would normally have been in battle. David normally would have been with his army, but for some reason David decides to stay home. Instead of David fulfilling his purpose, he's complacent for some reason. He doesn't go with his army, he stays at home. And it's why he's complacent, not fulfilling his purpose. He walks out on his roof and looks across and sees this beautiful woman bathing. And that's what leads to all this, which the underlying truth for us is this. We need to be careful about not fulfilling the purpose God has for us and about being complacent in our Christian faith because it's in that moment that Satan can sow seeds of temptation that can lead to great tragedy in our lives. And that's the underlying story of what happened with David. You may be hiding sin. You may be trying to keep something stuffed down. The title of the message today is this, and the title is a little bit different. I don't know why God led this way. I've not <laughs> never done points exactly like this or titles before, but you'll understand it if you think about it from a mathematical standpoint. Repentance plus mercy is greater than our guilt. Our repentance, add to our repentance the mercy of God. And that is greater than guilt in our lives. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we look at the first five verses of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Father, help us today to be honest with ourselves before you. Father, help us if we have things that we have thought we have hidden. Maybe even we've convinced ourselves that we've hidden things from you. Father, we pray you help us to deal honestly with our lives. Lord, if there are things in our lives as we walk through this series that we need to repent of, Help us to do that. Help us to, to depend upon your mercy and your grace. God, help us to overcome the guilt that can be so prevalent in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. 
You may be in similar circumstances this morning as David. By that, I'm not saying necessarily that you have committed adultery or you have committed murder. But there might be similar things that you thought you have hidden, that you've stuffed down, that, that, that you're carrying around with you. And even though you've tried to hide it, it's there and it's kind of ever before you and, and you're guilty for whatever it is that it's in your life. Maybe you're screaming inside that you wish you could get a clipboard and write it all down and put it in an envelope that says secret. But the truth of the matter is this. Sin is never secret. You might hide it from somebody else, but you can't hide it from God. God's opened the envelope. God sees your portrait beside whatever it is that, that you've written out. And God knows without any doubt what it is you're trying to stuff down and hide inside. The truth of the matter is that guilt may be eating you up inside. So what steps can we take as we walk through this psalm? What steps can we take today as we look at the first five verses that will help us discover that repentance of sin added to God's mercy is greater than our guilt? Here's step number one. Step number one is that you need to take personal responsibility for your sin. Take personal responsibility for your sin. I'm going to start in verse three, and then we'll go back to verse one and two in our, in our second points. And the reason I started verse three is this. David had to recognize his sin was ever before him before he ever would do what verse one and verse two says. David says here, I know my transgressions, my sins ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you, referring to God, may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. You see, the first step in you confessing sin is for you to admit it to yourself. You can't even begin to admit it to God until you recognize yourself that it's sin, until you admit to yourself that there's something there that you've tried to hide, that you've tried to, that you've tried to push down. So as we walk through verse three through five, I want you to notice several simple thoughts, but important thoughts. Here's the first one. You know, you know, David knew and, and, and you know. David said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You you have to start out by confessing to yourself that something is sin. Look look at the words that he uses here in, in the Hebrew. I know, David is saying, I've got personal knowledge. I see, I observe. It even means I care. I mean, David wasn't happy with what he had done in his life. I recognize It means to know, even to understand there's punishment involved. David said, I know personally my transgressions, not just a little white lie. (laughs) He used a word here that means a revolt. David was saying, God, I've I've revolted against you. I knew better. The, The very man that God said is a man after my own heart made these tragic decisions and choices in his life. And David is saying, God, I have revolted against you. And the word has an idea of expansion. So think about how that really applies to this situation. It starts out with David not going to battle. David was a warrior. David was well known for being a warrior. He should have been at battle, but he's not. So since he's not fulfilling his purpose, it makes it really easy for sin to creep in the door. So it started out by him just staying home. And then the next thing happens, he walks on his roof and he looks and he keeps looking and he looks and he lusts and then it expands out even more. He sins for Bathsheba and then it expands out even more. He commits adultery with her and then it expands even more. She's expecting with child and then it expands even more as he tries to hide his sin and he has her husband murdered in battle. You see how his transgression, his revolt expanded. And guys, that's the way sin is in our life. You've had it ex- happen to your life before. If you'll be honest about it, you tell one lie and what does that, ha- what does that lead to? 
another lie and another lie and sometimes a greater sin. And, and, and that's kind of the idea here. David's sin, his revolt against God had this expansion to it. He said, my sin, my, my offense, my sinfulness is ever before me. And, and the word that he uses there, the phrase that he uses in the Hebrew means to stretch. It means a continuous or uh, an indefinite extension. It's constant. He, he's saying, what I've done, it, it's there. And God, I can't get away from it. No matter what I do, I go to sleep at night and it's there before me. I get up the next day and it's there before me. It's right in front of me. It's opposite. It's like a counterpart. It's like a mate that's following me around wherever I go. It's over and against me. It's standing in front of me boldly like an enemy that's opposite to me. That's what David is saying about his guilt and his sin. Most Bible scholars say it was probably at least six months between the time Bathsheba had said that she was, had conceived a child and the time that Nathan comes by and he points in his face and he says, you're the man. Some say maybe up to a year. But whatever the length of time, David had been walking around with this guilt inside of him. And he knew what he had done. And it was ever present there before him. See, the the very first step in overcoming the damage and the guilt of sin in your life, the first step is admitting to yourself, being honest with yourself, because more than likely you knew it was wrong. You knew it was sin to begin with. David doesn't do here what you might would expect him to do based on human nature. David doesn't say, well, the devil made me do it. David doesn't say, well, I was just having a bad day and it was a weak moment. And because I was having a bad day, I did something that I, that I normally wouldn't do. David didn't try and blame Bathsheba and say, well, if you hadn't been bathing on the roof of your house... David didn't try and blame one of his generals and say, you knew that wasn't a good order to start with, even though I told you to pull back and allow him to be killed. You knew that wasn't right, so you shouldn't have done it to begin with. I was just testing you. David didn't make any of those excuses. David didn't look at God and blame God because some people will do this. He didn't blame God and say, well, God, if you had made Bathsheba so pretty, I wouldn't have done that. Instead, David is completely, totally honest with his sin. After Nathan points the finger of conviction, David said this to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, in the first part of verse 13. And remember, it all started in something pretty innocent. He just decided to stay at home instead of being in the battle. Not only do I want you to notice that David knew and that we know, I want you to also notice this. Ultimately, sin. Ultimately, your sin is against God. David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. The second part of confession, the first part of it is admitting to yourself it was sin. But you also have to be willing to admit to God it is sin. And admit to God that that you have sinned against him now let me ask you a couple important questions did david not sin against bathsheba sure he did i understand it takes two to tango but he's the king and he had the greater responsibility by sending after her so he sinned against bathsheba he sinned against his general by by getting some of his army involved in this plot to have uriah killed he sinned against them He he sinned against the nation, the people he's supposed to be leading and trying to lead in righteousness. He sinned against the nation. He definitely sinned against Uriah by having Uriah murdered, right? He sinned against all those people. So what does David mean when he says, God against you and you only have I sinned? Here's what David is saying. He said, ultimately, all sin is against God. That's the most tragic part of sin. You can sin and it involves a transgression against somebody else, but it involves much more than that. Ultimately, all of our sin is against God 
himself. See, you might get by with hiding your sin from somebody else. You might can hide it and someone else not know. You might can convince yourself, well, it doesn't matter if some people close to me know, like David's generals close to him. It doesn't matter if they know, they probably won't confront me anyway. To be honest with you, sometimes your close friends are glad that you have sinned because they can use that to justify their own sin in their life. So you might be able to get by and keep it hid from somebody else, but here's the deal. (laughs) You can't keep it hid from God. And while somebody else may not confront you, at some point, God will confront you about sin and he will either call you to repentance as a believer because you've made some huge mistake, some sin, and he'll call you to repentance and, and you need to repent of that sin. Or he may call you to repentance, someone that's never ever believed in Christ yet, for you to admit that you're a sinner. Or it may not be until you stand before God in judgment, then it's way too late. But I'm telling you, at some point in time, you'll be confronted by your sin sin is ultimately against god third thing is we're in this first part here about being honest about our sin ourselves so taking personal responsibility for our sin is this god is right every now and then god's right part of the time now since we're on live feed uh i'm joking (laughs) Look look what David says. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, he's saying God is always right. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like what God says about some personal sin that we're trying to hold on to. Whether we like it or not, God is always right. Whether our culture tries to say something differently that's opposed to God. God is always right. And if we could come to that on the front end of us making mistakes in our lives and sinning against God, that our sin is ultimately against God in our lives, if we would come to the front end, that what God says is always right and try the best that we can as God empowers us to apply what he says to our lives, it would help us avoid guilt on the front end of it. But also on the backside of it, If we will understand that what God says is always right. God is always justified. He's always right in his words. God is blameless. God is translucent. God is innocent in the way he he judges or or governs or pronounces a, a sentence against our sin. God is always right. And if we would come to that awareness before we sin, it will help us out. But even after we sin, instead of us arguing and trying to hide our sin and act like we didn't sin, if we would just honestly say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. God, what I've done is wrong. God, what you say about it is right. And if we'd come to God and confess it and repent of it, it would help us get over our guilt. It would help us come to repentance and, and, and understand that our repentance plus the mercy of God is greater than our guilt if we would understand that what God says is always, always, always right. David didn't try and blame God or anyone else. David admits that God is always right and always blameless or always innocent in his judgments. A lot of people try to make excuses. Well, God, if you didn't allow us to have the capacity to sin, I wouldn't have sinned. So, God, it must be your fault. You hold on to that one and see how that works out in the day of judgment. God, if you hadn't made that beautiful woman. God, if you hadn't made that drug. God, if you hadn't allowed this to be created, if you didn't allow this to be made, if you didn't allow this to happen, then, then, then God, I, I wouldn't have done these things. So God, it, I'm ultimately blaming you. That's what a lot of people try to do. But that's not going to work out very well. I'm telling you up front in a day of judgment. What we must do is admit that God is always right and always blameless, knowing this ought to help lead us to repentance, help us take personal responsibility for our sin, which will in turn help us experience repentance and God's mercy and his grace being greater than our guilt. Next thing I want you to see in this section is this. He gives us a warning. 
David writes here about inherent sin. That's kind of this doctrinal word that theologians use to talk about all of mankind being fallen into sin. We, we have a fallen nature. Even though you're someone that's saved by the grace of God, we still have this fallen nature in the flesh. And David in verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The, the phrase means to twist or whirl, to, to writhe in pain. In, in sin, he says, in, in crime or its penalty, my, my mother conceived me. Now, don't get confused about what David is doing here. Some people will read that and think, well, David's blaming his mama. <laughs> That's not what he's doing. He's not pulling back and saying, well, it's my mother's fault because she conceived me in sin. It's her fault that I did what I've done. Some people try to make it sound like David is saying there's something wrong with the sex act. But the Bible clearly teaches the marriage bed is undefiled. There's not anything wrong between a sexual connection between a man and a woman that are married to each other. That's not dirty or wrong in any way as far as God is concerned. He created it. He came up with the idea, by the way. For a married couple to enjoy as a special gift. So that's not what he's saying. He's not blaming his upbringing. He's not blaming his environment. That's awfully popular in the day that we live in. See, if you'll listen closely, when there are riots on television and things like that, our news media will try and make excuses for them and say, well, we've got to remember the way they were brought up. We've got to remember what, they, what their environment has been, and we just have to allow them to do this. Hey, I'm sorry. I grew up with my dad being an alcoholic, knowing he abused my mama. That doesn't give me an excuse to go out and break the law. That doesn't give me an excuse because of my environment to do whatever I want to do. That's not what David is doing. He's not trying to make that excuse. In fact, David's doing the exact opposite. You see, David, yes, he himself was guilty of an adulterous act and of a murderous act. But what David is literally saying here is this. All mankind have a tendency toward having an adulterous attitude and a murderous attitude. He's saying all of us are sinners because when Adam and Eve chose sin, that's what he's pointing back to. David's not just saying he's a sinner. David knew he was a sinner. David more or less is saying, hey, I'm bad to the bone. That's how bad of a sinner I am. But he's pointing to all the human race and saying we have all sinned. And in pain, because of that initial sin of Adam and Eve, in pain, the child is brought forth in childbirth. That's what David is, is pointing to here. Our awareness of our fallen sin nature. Instead of it giving us an excuse to say, well, I can't help it because I'm a, I've got this fallen nature. No, when we look at the tragic consequences of sin and Adam and Eve's life and how it affected all the human race, instead of us saying, well, that's an excuse for us to sin, we ought to look at the consequences and it give us all the more motive to try and not sin. To, to try and ask God to help us and understand that through repentance and seeking God's mercy, we can experience God's mercy and grace and his mercy can help overcome our guilt. One last thought in this section is we're talking about our, our personal acknowledgement of our sin. That's the first step in getting over guilt. You have to personally acknowledge that you've sinned. And that is simply this. Others may know. We start out talking about you know, but others may know. A lot of times you may read too quickly over some of these headings that are put in front of the Psalms. The heading before Psalm 51 says, To the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Did you understand what's taking place here? David, yes, he knew. He was personally aware his sin was ever before him. But other people knew. Bathsheba knew, right? Some of his generals knew. And understanding human nature, 
In our human nature, what happens regrettably all too often when somebody finds out this little nugget about somebody else's life? What happens? You pass it on. You gossip and you tell this person and that person tells this person and that person tells this person. And you want to know what also happens? The story gets worse as it goes along. So David does what's unexpected. He understands as other people know and people's going to be talking about it. It's not going to stay secret. It's going to get out. But since others knew, here's what David does. He writes a song about his sin. He writes a song about going into Bathsheba. He writes a song about what he's done. He writes a song about his repentance and he sends it to the choir master and he says, let's sing this and worship. It'd be the equivalent of me going out and committing some tragic sin this week and writing a song about it and sending it to John and say, John, let's sing about this next Sunday. But that's what David does. And here's the point I'm trying to make for you. You see, if you sin, it's just between you and God, then you can just personally repent between you and God. If you sin, it's just between maybe you and God and someone else, and you can keep it in that context and and everything, then you might can just go and, and deal with that sin and apologize to that other person. But when it's public sin, I don't think we have any other choice other than to repent publicly, because here's why. Human nature is people are going to talk about it, and you're going to be worried all the more about what people are saying, about what they're talking about, what they're saying about you, and you won't be able to get rid of the guilt, because everywhere you go, you're going to be thinking about, what does that person think? What does that person think of me at church? What does this other person think about me? But if you deal with it honestly and transparently, if it's a public sin and you repent of it publicly, you have done everything necessary that you can do to deal with the guilt. If the other people still talk, that's on them. That's between them and God. But you can help deal with your own personal guilt if it is public sin by repenting of it publicly. Does that make sense? See, what the reason we are, are, are so caught off guard by someone doing this is that in the closed doors of king's offices and presidential offices and, and government officials and things like that, you never see this take place. When people are caught red-handed by sin, there's always some excuse. They always come up with something plausible. They always point and say it's somebody else's fault. They always try and say it's a critic's fault. They're, they're telling a lie about me. Instead of someone just standing and boldly saying, what I've done. I did. Yes, it was wrong. I am sorry. I repent of it. I apologize. Would to God we'd see our leaders do that. Because if it is a public sin, it needs that type of repentance to help you get over the guilt of that sin. So what steps can we take to help us get over guilt? The, the things that you are hiding down in your life and, and, and you're thinking nobody knows. I, I've got news for you. God knows. And, and other people may know. But, but what is the first step in trying to, to, to overcome the damage of sin and the guilt of sin? The first step is simply this. Personally admit. Personally take accountability for your sin. Quit trying to Pass it off to someone else. Quit trying to make excuses for it and personally admit your sin. Then, now we can go to verse 1 and 2. The next thing you need to do is cry out for mercy. Cry out for mercy. David being aware of his sin, his sin constantly being before him, that's what motivated him to write this psalm of repentance and even make it public. And David in verse 1 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He uses a word there for mercy that means to bend or stoop low. It it talks about uh, uh, a superior bending in kindness or stooping in kindness to an inferior to bestow a favor to them. He, he says, do that according, according to your steadfast love. 
He's referring to God in his kindness. He, he, he's saying, God, according to your kindness, even though it might involve reproof. By the way, that's meant in this word also. And a lot of times we don't think as reproof as being kindness. Hey, we ought to thank God that he reproves us for sin a lot of times. One reason you ought to thank God for it is this. The book of Hebrews says, if God doesn't reprove you, if he doesn't correct you, you don't really belong to him to start with. You ought to be ever so thankful when God corrects you for sin in your life. The root word means to bow the neck in courtesy and be kind. He, he's just crying out to God, 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 bend low. God, I, I need your kindness. He said, according to your abundant mercy. And that phrase means, God, I, I want you to cast together all of your mercy. God, I want you to increase your mercy. God, increase your love and your kindness toward me. The, the root word even referred to uh, compassion that exists like a, like a woman cherishing a fetus in, in, in her womb. We miss that in our culture somehow, don't we? He said, blot out my transgressions to stroke a rub or to erase from a ledger. He said, erase my revolt, this great sin that I've committed in my life. God, erase that. See, David was in need of all this. David was in need of God magnifying, God increasing, God casting together all of his kindness and all of his love. David realizes full well now that the place you truly experience kindness, the place you truly experience love and compassion is from God who loves you like a mother does trying to cherish a fetus in the womb. David understands that's where compassion and love is found in kindness, not in the womb of some strange woman because of all that it had, had cost him. And he's crying out to God and he uses a phrase here that more or less referred, it's an accounting phrase, a banking phrase, that more or less means to erase a debt out of a ledger. The, the debt is there, you owe it, but without any reason, the accountant erases it and does away with it. You see, that's the only hope that David had. David couldn't pay for his own sin. David could not overcome what he had done. The only thing David could do was cry out to God for mercy and say, God, in your mercy, erase this. God, blot this out. God, in your mercy, all this great sin that I've done, if you would, erase this. See, because of our sin, debt is ultimately against who? Who's it against? God. God is the only one that can erase it. And David had to look to God by faith that God would do that. And you and I have to do the same thing. We have to look to God and ask God to erase and help us with our sin debt. Look, look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And you who are dead in trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's who we were. God made alive together with him. Alive together with Christ. Jesus had died on the cross. He took his life back up. He makes us alive with him when we believe in Christ. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record, by erasing that record, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. Notice this, nailing it to the cross. That's the only hope that David had. David is looking forward by faith to the Savior that would come. You and I look back by faith to what Jesus did for us on the cross. The only hope that David had was the mercy of God. The only hope that you and I have is the mercy of God. The only way we can overcome our sin and overcome the guilt is for us to repent and cry out to God and ask God for mercy. Because whatever it is that you've done, God took that and he put it upon Jesus and he nailed that sin to the cross. And the only way, the only way you can get beyond the guilt that you have is to understand that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sins and we have to look to Christ and his cross by faith. Through Jesus, God made us alive with Christ. Through Jesus, God forgives our sins. Through Jesus, God blots out the debt against us by nailing it to the cross. What steps can we take in overcoming our guilt? Step number one, admit that you're a sinner. Take personal responsibility for your sins. Step number two, Cry out for mercy. Step number three, ask God for cleansing. 
Ask God for cleansing. David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Wash me thoroughly meant to trample, hence to wash something by stamping it with the feet. You, you've seen that in, in, in movies before. You might not have ever literally seen it unless you did it camping or something like that. But way back before they had any kind of washing machine whatsoever. I never did this. Some of you think I'm that old, but I'm not quite that old. But before there's ever any kind of washing machine, they'd take a dirty garment down to the creek or down to the river or something, and they would stomp on it and stomp on it and put some soap on it and stomp on it some more and wring it out and put it on a rock to dry. That's a picture that's being given here. You could translate it like this. Wash me as one would wash a filthy garment. David says, cleanse me from my sin. God, help me to get beyond this. God, make me bright, make me pure, make me uncontaminated. God, make me morally innocent or or holy before you. God, help me with this penalty of sin that's against me. See, the truth of the matter is what dirt is to our bodies, sin is to our souls. What dirt is to the outside of your body, sin is to your heart. Sin is to the inner person. Sin is to your mind. So when we don't deal with it correctly, that guilt is there. And we've not asked God to forgive us. We're trying to hide it. We're trying to stuff it down. Well, what we need to do is ask God to forgive us. You see, David had transgressed the line that God had drawn in his law by committing adultery and committing murder. David had missed the mark that God had set for him, and that is sin, missing the mark. David had yielded to his twisted, sinful nature, his iniquity, and David could not self-atone for such sin. The only thing David could do was ask God for cleansing, and that's the only thing that you and I can do. We have to admit we've sinned. We have to be honest about it. Quit trying to hide it. We have to cry out for mercy. And then we have to ask God to cleanse us of whatever it is that we've done. See, it is only through Christ, only God through Christ can trample our sins underfoot by his sacrifice on the cross. Only God through Christ can thoroughly and completely increase the spiritual washing we need. Only God alone can make us spiritually bright by giving us his righteousness and putting our sin upon his son. Only God through Christ can make us pure and contaminated from sin as far as God sees us through the blood of his son. Only God alone through Christ can make us morally innocent and holy and set apart to himself. Christ Jesus paid for our sins and took the full penalty of our sin upon himself. And what we have to do is cry out and ask him to cleanse us through the blood of his son. The Bible tells us this. Next slide. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us a little bit. Cleanses us from little bitty sins, from partly cleanses us. What does the Bible say? (laughs) And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. For our sake, he, the father made him, Jesus, the son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the very righteousness of God. Greatest deal that ever happened. You'll never find this on any car lot or any, uh, any sale anywhere on the planet. God took our sin and gave it to his son and he takes the righteousness of God and he gives it to us when we trust in Jesus by faith. All I'm trying to point out to you today is simply this. If you want to get over your guilt, you have to repent. You have to admit your sin. Repentance plus God's mercy is greater than our guilt. In 2 Samuel 12, David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Didn't make excuses, didn't point anybody else. He just said, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. 
Wow. Remember what he did. A little bit more than a little white lie. He committed adultery. He committed murder. And David says, I'm guilty. I did this. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, hey, there's still consequences. Don't get away from this. The consequences to sin. The baby is going to die. That first baby is going to die. The swords are never going to leave David's house. We'll talk about this more in the series as we go through the series. But he's going to have a son rape a half-sister. He's going to have a son kill a half-son, a a, a stepbrother. He's going to have a son rebel and try and take over the whole kingdom. All tied to this, consequences of it. But as far as his sin... Nathan says, God's put that aside. How can that be? (laughs) Think about it. Does that sound fair? Does that sound fair at all? A man committed adultery, he committed murder, and God tells David, I put away your sin. You see, if we did not have more biblical truth, I would be the first one to say, God, that's not right. God, that's wrong. But let's bring in a little bit more biblical truth to it. Romans 3 for there's no distinction for all of sin. Not just David, all of sin. And fall short of the glory of God. And are justified not by our works, not by our own personal goodness, but are justified as an unmerited gift from God. By his grace as a gift. Through the redemption, through the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a payment by his blood. To be received by faith that we have to believe by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, including David's. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, we have to bring this in to make sense of how in the world could God put aside David's sin. See, the shocker, understand this. The shocker of biblical truth is not that God can forgive David. The shocker is that God can forgive anybody. Because we all have sinned. We, we've all fallen short. That, that's the shocker of, of the truth of, of this story. It is that God can forgive anyone at all. Because we're all guilty of sin. And God is the one who is just. And God is the one who is a justifier of sinners who have faith in him. That's how God could forgive David. That's how God can forgive us. You see, it brings us to be confronted by the cross of Jesus. And at the cross of Jesus, it doesn't do any good to make excuses or try and hide our sin. We have to be honest and agree and say, yes, I've sinned. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Let me give you some instances of some people being honest in the Bible. Um, Solomon said, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. If you're trying to hide your sins, not helpful at all. (laughs) The guilt's still going to stay there. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Isaiah said, woe is me, I'm ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips after he saw the Lord. Peter fell at the feet of Jesus and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus talked about a publican and a Pharisee, and the Pharisee had stood there praying to God and said, I thank God I'm not like this publican over here. And he was all prideful in his own personal righteousness, but that's not the one that went home justified. The publican smote his breast and said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, that's the one that went home justified. Paul, who declared this, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among who I am foremost of all. The apostle Paul, who God used to write more of the New Testament than anyone else, said, I'm the worst sinner of them all, but Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, that's how we can understand the forgiveness of God toward David. That's how David experienced freedom from his guilt. By the way, God forgave him to such a degree that Jesus Christ is ultimately the son of David born through the bloodline of Jesus. Through him and Bathsheba, through Solomon. 
if you want a picture of the grace and the mercy of God. Steve Alderburn, who's a Christian psychologist and a pastor, he wrote this in a, in a book. He said there are really only three reasons why you wouldn't admit your sin and call on God for mercy and cleansing. Reason number one, you're afraid of losing your reputation. You're not going to deal honestly with your sin because you're afraid that if you deal honestly with your sin, that that people are going to think bad of you. You'll lose your reputation. You see, here's what you need to get beyond. You need to worry more about what God thinks than what somebody else thinks. Number two, you're afraid of losing your favorite sin. In other words, the reason you really don't want to repent of it is that it's your little pet sin and you don't want to give it up. Number three, you're afraid it might cost you financially, emotionally, or relationally. So a lot of people will not come clean and they walk around with their guilt stuffed down inside of them. When they're screaming out, wishing someone would hand them a clipboard and let them write it down and let them put it in an envelope that says secret. You see, what David did was this. David confessed it to God. And I would recommend that you do the same thing if you want to get beyond your guilt. You need to take personal responsibility for your sin. You need to cry out to God for mercy. You you need to ask God for cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, 1 John is written to believers. He's writing to people who already know Christ as their Savior. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. question today is, are you going to do like David did? Are you going to keep this stuff hidden inside and walk around feeling the guilt and the weight and the burden of it? Having this dark cloud follow you wherever you go. Or are you going to be honest with God and admit what you've done is wrong and ask for mercy and ask for cleansing? Father, God, not just today, but as we walk through this series, God, give us freedom. Satan wants to keep us bound up in the guilt of our past. Father, help us as believers to realize that, yes, you're a holy God, but you're also a God of mercy. You're also a God of grace. You're a God that extends forgiveness. Father, help us as believers not to walk around with guilt of of past sins that are forgiven. Father, help us not to walk around under the burden and the weight of guilt in our lives. Father, if we currently as believers, if we have active sin in our lives, Father, help us to bring it to the cross. Help us just to cast it down. God, I know Jesus died for it. I know we're already forgiven for it as believers. But Father, to help us deal with not only the penalty of our sin, but Father, to help us deal with the the guilt of our sin and find freedom from the guilt of our sin. Father, help us as believers to be honest and ask you to forgive us of things in our lives that should not be there. Father, help us to admit to ourselves and to you that it's there and that it's wrong and that it's a sin. Father, help us to cry out for mercy. Help us to ask you to cleanse us. Father, if there's someone in this place this morning that has never ever trusted Jesus as Savior, Father, help them to understand the only avenue to forgiveness. The only possibility of dealing with that guilt that they carry around in their lives is to recognize that Jesus paid in full on the cross. He nailed to the cross all of their sin and all of their debt. Father, help anyone here that has never trusted Christ to believe in Him this morning and have that debt erased by the blood of Jesus. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, 
service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.